This episode of Modern Manhood is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome services, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. If you switch retailers, nothing changes about the delivery of electricity or natural gas to your home or business. If you have an existing contract, you're going to want to find out the terms for leaving. If you don't, then it's even easier to sign up for Park Power. The choice is yours, and there's a better deal available for you. To learn more, go to parkpower.ca. That's parkpower.ca. This episode of Modern Manhood is also brought to you by Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a multi-company co-working space focused on helping people pursue their passions and making Edmonton its creative best. Join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations all dedicated to getting things done. And besides desks and offices, Unit B offers members access to its podcasting studio and meeting spaces, as well as the kitchen, Wi-Fi, and the usual amenities. It's located in the historic McKenney Building on 104th Street in Edmonton, close to everything in downtown, including the Bay LRT station. So if you want to book a tour, go to unitb.ca. That's unitb.ca. Last week... I saw a message pop up in one of my group chats that simply linked the story from TMZ that read, Kobe Bryant dead after a helicopter crash. One of my friends says there's no way that's true. And in 15 minutes, it was. I didn't know what to say except for just wow and shocking. Because that's where I am with Kobe. I don't watch basketball, but I know who he is. I follow sports, so I know the name Kobe Bryant. But I'm not from LA. I'm not a b-ball head. You know, my emotional attachment to Kobe is very minimal. So, wow, that's shocking. Was really the best I could do. The loss of life is always tragic, especially when it's an accident like what happened with Kobe. And also what happened with his daughters and I think it was like five other people. But to be honest, I was more sad about the young people that died that day than I was for Kobe. I know of Kobe Bryant, I know the titles, I know the 81 points, I know when he wanted to be called Black Mamba, like like in Kill Bill. I know the commercials. You know, I've even said Kobe when I was shooting paper basketballs at uh, garbage cans. I also know about the rape case. I know about Denver. I know about the trial. And I know about the arrest. I saw the grief being poured out on social media and on TV and on video and everywhere else. The pain is real. I feel though that there is a bigger conversation to be had about death in the public eye. And I feel uniquely positioned to have it now, surrounded by the news of Kobe Bryant. What is appropriate to say at these times? And why can't we say the full story? The complexity of humanity. This is Mar Manhood. Mar Manhood is brought to you by Next Gen Men and the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by AT. 
If you want to support Next Gen Men in redefining and undefining what it means to be a man, you can head over to nextgenmen.ca and donate or be a part of their community as best you can. Any contributions support the promotion of positive masculinities, healthy relationships, and gender equity among the next generation of men. Again, head on over to nextgenmen.ca. Also, if you want to support modern manhood, head on over to our Patreon page where, starting in 2020, we're going to have some extra content for you. A Patreon-exclusive podcast called Modern Manhood Extra is available for anyone in the $3 tier. So, you'll be helping me and you'll be helping Next Gen Men out if you uh, become a Patreon member. And to do that, go to patreon.com slash modernmanpod. Warning. The following episode will deal with some details of sexual assault. One of my favorite modern philosophers is Alain Dubotin. He runs the School of Life in England, and he said this about death. Quote, Death is at once the strangest and most normal thing that can happen in life. A beloved of infinitely complex consciousness no longer exists. Atoms arranged in an inexorably unique sequence are now forever dispersed. The moment seems like a rebuke to everything we are and hope for. It is contrary to all the stability and continuity we crave. But it was preordained from the moment of birth. Nothing fundamentally heinous has happened. There was never going to be another way. And they knew it, as we do. The death feels so wrong, but death is written into the contract of existence. What has happened is an outrage, and at the same time, the fulfillment of a basic pledge we all undertook at the moment of our birth. It is life, not death, that is the anomaly. Death is our one great common destiny the event from which all of our love and compassion flows. End quote. It seems like in the last few years we have been inundated with death. Death has always been around us. It just seems like somehow it's ever-present. Maybe because of the political strife that we are all very aware of, or maybe it's because of the climate emergency that shows its face with wildfires, snowstorms, and sickness. I think the way we as modern society process death shows its face when a grand figure dies. When Kobe Bryant died a week ago, I was really taken aback about how many people flocked to say their respects. The amount of adulation coming from not only basketball players, but athletes of all stripes, late night talk show hosts, politicians, whoever. The Grammys even took some time to honor Kobe Bryant the day he died. I didn't have a relationship with the iconography of Kobe Bryant, but I can see how much he meant to a lot of people. And it really showed when LeBron James honored Kobe in Los Angeles. Now, I know at some point we will have a memorial for Kobe, but I look at this, I look at this as a celebration tonight. This is, this is a celebration of the 20 years of the blood, the sweat, the tears, the broken down body, the getting up, the sitting down, the everything, the countless hours, the determination to be as great as he could be. Tonight, we celebrate the kid that came here at 18 years of age, retired at 38, and became 
Probably the best dad that we've seen over the last three years, man. Yet Kobe had a complicated life. The Oxford Handbook of the Philosophy of Death poses this essential statement about death. Quote, Among the oldest philosophical questions are questions about personal identity. What is a person? What are the persistent conditions for people? The answers to these questions bear on the question of what happens to us when we die. From this statement, we can gather what death can do for a person, and how we as Western Canadian Anglo society deal with death, especially through the death of gigantic figures like Kobe Bryant, and before them people like Michael Jackson or John Lennon, David Bowie, and on and on and on. The question after a person's death, especially if it's an unexpected death like the one of Kobe Bryant, is what do we remember him for? What do we choose to be his legacy? Because undeniably, it is a choice that we make. When people who have done heinous things, we don't remember their good things because we believe that whatever bad has happened cannot outweigh the good. This is the choice that we make. Yet, in the case of Kobe Bryant, something heinous did happen. In 2003, allegations surfaced that Kobe Bryant raped somebody. He was arrested, and he was released on bonds. Salon.com, on an amazing piece, said that, quote, She was a hotel employee who had been tasked with showing Bryant his room, where Bryant cornered her, choked her, and raped her. The police were able to collect significant amounts of physical evidence, including lacerations on her genitals, a bruise on her face, marks on her neck, and her blood on his t-shirt. End quote. The trial itself could not go on because the alleged victim withdrew. So they settled out of court, and in part of the settlement, there was an apology from Kobe, which I will read fully. Quote, First, I want to apologize directly to the young woman involved in this incident. I want to apologize to her for my behavior that night and for the consequences she has suffered in the past year. Although this year has been incredibly difficult for me personally, I can only imagine the pain she has had to endure. I also want to apologize to her parents and family members and to the family and friends and supporters and to the citizens of Eagle, Colorado. I also want to make it clear that I do not question the motives of this young woman no money has been paid to this woman. She has agreed that this statement will not be used against me in the civil case. Although I truly believe this encounter between us was consensual, I recognize now that she did not and does not view this incident the same way I did. After months of review and discovery, listening to her attorneys, and even her testimony in person, I now understand how she feels that she did not consent to this encounter. I issue this statement today fully aware that while one part of this case ends today, another remains. I understand that the civil case against me will go forward, that part of this case will be decided by and between the parties directly involved in the incident, and will no longer be financial or emotional drain on citizens of the state of Colorado. End quote. Now, this apology is actually still being used as a textbook way of making an apology for sexual harassment. This is back in 2003. 2004, to be honest. Kobe acknowledged what happened. He mentioned how he thought it was consensual and recognized how she might not have seen it that way, you know, acknowledging the complexity of consent. And through this, 
feminists have built kind of a framework of consent and they have used this as kind of a, an idea of using uh, yes means yes instead of no means no as part of consent. Kobe also mentions that he does not question the motives of the accuser, which is also a step in the right direction of not having the blame put in. But yet, another thing happened before this apology. The media who turned on the accuser. According to Think Progress, the media noted that she was a sexually active teenager who had attempted suicide twice and be briefly hospitalized for mental illness. That she was an aspiring singer who once tried out for American Idol, and that she had a lingering crush on her ex-boyfriend. The media painted her as a fame-hungry person who would do anything for attention. And Kofi Bryant's defense team encouraged this behavior. Pamela Mackey used the court's time to smear the alleged victim's reputation. Again, according to Think Progress, quote, not only did Mackey use the alleged victim's name a staggering six times during the hearing, but when she was presented with the women's vaginal injuries, Mackey used the victim's sexual history against her. The high-powered lawyer brought the hearing to a screeching halt, asking, quote, could it be that the alleged victim's injuries were caused by having sex with three men in three days? End quote. This is the legacy of that case that the public has been quick to forget, especially when it was time to give Kobe adulation for his successful career as a basketball player. Example for when he retired or when he won an Oscar. The thing that is interesting about what happened when he died is that people were not so quick to forget that case. It's just that some wanted to forget. A lot of people were heartbroken when Kobe died and they were angry when that case was brought up. So much so that people were given death threats. This is Dave Zirin from The Edge of Sports. Well, I'll be frank with you. First and foremost, it's difficult to discuss uh, because you, you want to give people space to mourn right now. And I, I feel like there is going to be time to discuss all of this. But I also understand that this is part of Kobe's legacy and it does need to be discussed. Uh, in 2003, Kobe was charged with sexual assault. In 2005, uh, the charges were dropped when his accuser did not testify. And uh, Kobe's lawyers absolutely engaged in a scorched earth uh, campaign against his accuser that was so intense, they actually changed the rape shield laws in Colorado because they were so vicious towards her. Now, part of the settlement that that um, the part of the deal that you know, Kobe, in terms of the civil suit of, of, of writing a very large check to make the charges go away, uh, involved Kobe uh, writing out an apology that was read in court, where uh, Kobe acknowledged that he did not think that uh, his accuser uh, had offered consent in their encounter. And uh, I have to tell you, like, I was speaking with—back then in 2005, that hadn't really been seen before. I mean, and now I think it probably doesn't—I don't know how we would look at it in 2020 in our era today. But in 2005, offering that statement where uh, he spoke about the issue of consent, I know that for a lot of organizations that work in restorative justice circles, they've used that statement um, as a way to speak about uh, the importance of understanding consent and the importance of fighting sexual assault uh, and rape culture. Take the case of Washington Post Felicia Somnes, a writer who immediately after his death linked the 
Daily Beast story to her Twitter account about the rape accusation. She was suspended from the post, and she also had to go into hiding in a hotel room because of the death threats that she received. Jessica Valenti summed it up in her piece titled, Why Do Men's Legacy Matter More Than Women's Safety? When she said, quote, We can argue about when it's appropriate to speak negatively about someone who has died tragically and whether a person should be remembered by their worst moment. What is inarguable, however, is that a woman was punished, both personally and professionally, simply for drawing attention to a well-known allegation that reflected poorly on a beloved male celebrity. End quote. So yes, gender does matter in these instances. Not only because we as a society still believe in the idea of the great man, but because women are usually the ones who get the death threats and the violence when calling out these behaviors. There are many examples of this. Thomas Carlyle in the 19th century wrote in his book on heroes, hero worship, and the heroic in history. He mentioned, quote, Universal history, the history of what man has accomplished in this world, is at the bottom of the history of the great men who have worked here. They were the leaders of men, these great ones, the modelers, the patterns, and the wide sense creators of whatsoever the general mass of men contributed to or to attain. All things that we see standing accomplished in the world are properly the outer material result. The practical realization and embodiment of thoughts that dwelt in the great men sent into this world. The soul of the whole world's history, it may be justly considered, were the history of these. Basically, what Carlyle stated that throughout history is basically the biography of these great men that shaped history. And it's a powerful statement. The statement that leads to a lot of individualized thinking. That we as a person can shape history and that history is just the individualized ideas or actions of these so-called great men. Yet, this is an easily critiqued idea, and frankly, it was during that time. Herbert Spencer notes that there is no way great men happen without society shaping that man. He mentions, quote, You must admit that the genesis of a great man depends on the long series of complex influences that has produced the race in which he appears, and the social state in which that race has slowly grown. Before he can remake his society, his society must make him. It's basically a bigger idea that a community builds a person. It takes a village to, you know, raise a child. So not only has this critique been shown with other philosophers, it was shown in even great books like War and Peace. But it's also been critiqued in the way we live as a modern society, the shift that we have moved from individualized thinking to community thinking, and not only that, societal thinking. And most importantly, it's been shown in the way we grieve and remember these so-called great men. And for the most part, they are men. Those are the people that we grieve. Because the great man theory, as much as we can forgive that they may be speaking about, quote, people instead of just men in the 19th century. I mean, Carlyle's examples were all of men. Just men. <laughs> this also goes back to Valenti's point that we still live in a society that values the legacy of these so-called great men. 
And in some cases, we feel that it hurts society to criticize what they have done or what they have said in their past life. This is DJ Charlemagne the God complaining after the Oscar that Kobe got. Like, I'm going to tell you why I'm confused and you can tell me if I'm tripping. I really can't believe that people are pulling up a 16-year-old sexual assault case to slander Kobe Bryant's Oscar win. It just seems disingenuous because I want to know where has everybody been for the past 16 years? Kobe caught this case in the summer of 03. Since then, he has won two NBA titles in 09 and 010. He was NBA Finals MVP in 09 and 010. He was NBA MVP in 2008. He was the All-Star Game MVP in 2007, 2009, and 2011. He was All-NBA first team in 03, 04. From 06 to 2013, he was the scoring champ in 06 and 07. I don't remember the boycott to the NBA back then. Not saying it didn't happen. Happen. I'm just saying I don't remember the outrage like I'm seeing now because he won an Oscar. Kobe was on the cover of four video games since that raid case. Four. I didn't see y'all calling for a boycott of EA Sports and Visual Concepts who produced the games. Kobe was in a commercial for Turkish Airlines, Guitar Hero, and Call of Duty. I didn't see y'all calling for boycotts for none of those companies. Kobe Bryant has been with Nike since 03, putting out sneakers, still putting out sneakers now. And I never once heard somebody say, we are boycotting Nike or Nike is wrong. Yet we're still evolving as a society. It's been a week since Kobe died. And there have been many, many stories about Kobe's complex life, the good and the bad. I truly believe the Me Too movement has a lot to do with that. And I truly believe the power of feminist thought has a lot to do with this as well. It's unfair to put so much into one person because in the end, they're not even that one person. They're the product of everyone that came before him. This idea of the influential individual hurts the way we see complexity in life and the complexity of death. Why are we scared when we put light the full complexity of our legacy? Maybe as Dubatan has put it before, we're scared that in death, time will forget us. Dubatan mentioned about death, quote, what makes the prospect of death distinctive in the modern age is the background of permanent technological and sociological revolution against which it is set, and which serves to strip us of any possible faith in the permanence of our labors. Our ancestors could believe that their achievements had a chance of bearing up against the flow of events. We know time to be a hurricane. Our buildings, our sense of style, our ideas, all of these will soon enough be anachronisms, and the machines in which we now take inordinate pride will seem no less pathetic than Yorick's skull. End quote. I think we worry that if we lose what our heroes do, we lose ourselves. We lose our past, and we lose our future. We lose our significance, which I would wager a lot of philosophers, religions, and scientists would have to remind us that we are actually very insignificant. But, as Marcel Proust would also tell us, that imminent death reminds us that life is beautiful. We're not immortals, yet our mortality is what makes us special. It's what makes us human. Acceptance of this is the key. We up here, we work a lot. And I think a lot of times we, we, we take stuff for granted. Like, I don't talk to you guys as much as I, as much as I need to. The fact that uh, we're not going to be able 
joke at his Hall of Fame ceremony. We're not going to be able to say, Hi, I got five, you got four. The fact that we're not going to be able to say, if we would stay together, we could have got ten. Those are the things that you can't get back. And with the loss of my father, my sister, and my thing, that's the only thing I wish I could just say something to him again. Last time I talked to him was when we were here and I asked him to get 50 and he got 60. The last time I spoke to him. And I just wish I could have, you know, so it, it definitely changes me. I have to, because I work a lot. You, you, you guys know what I do. I, I, I work probably more than the average guy, but I just really have to now just take time and just call and say, I love you. Rick Fox called, finally called me and said, man, I love you. B. Shaw called me. So I'm going to try to do a better job of just reaching out and just talking to the people rather than always procrastinating because you never know. Life is too short. I never, I could never imagine nothing like this. And this is not only noted by Shaq when he mentions that he wants to talk to more people more often, that Kobe Bryant's death reminds him that he needs to apologize and he needs to love people. This is not only noted by one of my favorite pieces of stand-up, by the amazing Simon Anstel. I had received a big bill for something to do with my flat, and it was really frustrating, and it felt like an injustice. It was like this just stupid, boring bill, and there was nothing I could do about it. And I was really annoyed by it, and then I got in this minicab and started telling the cab driver about it. He said to me, well, is there anything you can do about this bill? And I said, no, there's nothing I can do. It's a real injustice. And he said, acceptance. What do you mean, whispering wise cab driver? <laughs> and he explained so absurdly simply that if there's nothing you can do about something, then you do nothing. And in that moment, the feeling of injustice, the frustration, it was lifted, it was gone, there was nothing to do. I realized I'd made it up. I'd made it up that it was an injustice. I'd made up the frustration. It was all a story. And it's the same with the past. You can't change the past. There's no need to heal it. It's only a story that you've created. All you can do is let go of the story. You can't change yourself. All you can do is let go of the story of who you are. Let go of the character that you've created from fear. And you can't change other people. All you can do is let go of your limited perspective of them. I really tried hard with my family on that stupid debate about my brother and his girlfriend. And they stuck with their perception, as they have a right to do. They said, it's not our fault, it's your mother. She would rather that he was with a Jewish girl. And my mum said, no, that's not what I've said. What I've said is in an ideal world, he would be, but I'm happy that he's happy. Which sounds more positive, but she's creating a whole other world there, where he's with someone else. <laughs> so I said, we've got to let go of this idea of an ideal world. The world is how you perceive it. It's ideal if you want it to be ideal. And they're in love. Surely love is the ideal. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Modern Manhood. You can find all the episodes of Modern Manhood at modernmanhood.org, including the Patreon page where if you donate more than $3 a month, you can hear the full interview I did with Barrett Swanson, for example, on Modern Manhood Extra. And there's going to be extra content on the Patreon exclusive podcast for Modern Manhood. You can sign up for that to go to patreon.com slash modernmanpod to get that episode. 
I hope you have an amazing day. My name is Herman Vijegas, and we'll see you next time on Modern Manhood. 